That song is so very true for a man like Paul. He believed it. Did you know that Paul and the Emperor Nero, there was a time where their lives overlapped. There was a short time where they were both in the city of Rome at the same time. This is true. In the seventh decade, these two famous men actually lived in the same city. Probably a lot like I live in the same city with somebody famous. I just don't know who they are. Point is, Nero was making headlines. He was an emperor. Paul wasn't making headlines. You see, the ladies of The View would love to have Emperor Nero on their show. Maybe even Jimmy Kimmel would would have a spot for Emperor Nero. Maybe even Neil Patrick Harris in The Greatest Night Ever or whatever his show is would have a spot for Emperor Nero. They wouldn't have a spot for Paul. Nero would be the guy who was invited to state dinners, hosted at the White House. Paul would not be that guy. Nero was a hero. Paul was a zero. As a matter of opinion, when, we, when we're left to our imagination and we look at how the Bible describes Paul, if your mind is like mine, you're more likely to say that Paul was stoop-shouldered and balding with a crooked nose, cloudy-eyed old man with a big mouth. You can say that about Paul. It's just from the, he, was, he was blinded, you know, he was old. It, scripture says these things, it's just how I imagine it. You can look for yourself. We're more likely to say those things about Paul. Uh, but see, here's the thing. Paul kept talking about Jesus as if he were God. And in the 7th century, that got him locked up in prison in Rome. Now I'm willing to bet if we could all get in a time machine, all of us, it would be a large time machine, about like this room, and we'd spin around in circles real fast and in opposite direction of how the clock goes, so it'd be counterclockwise, and we all started spinning, and, and we somehow got back in time, and we got out of our time machine, and we all asked five people, who, who will make the greatest impact on the world, Nero or Paul? Most likely, everyone would pick Nero. I mean, he had it all. He was the emperor. He had money, he had servants, he had horses, he had a palace, he had soldiers, he had protection. He was living the dream. Not only was he living the dream, but he was married. Not only was he married, but he was married to Papa Sabina. We'll call her Sabina for short. <laughs> Sabina was a beautiful woman. According to what we know of her, she was blonde-haired, head-turning beauty. She bathed in donkey milk. It is said that 400 donkeys were kept on hand for just that one purpose. Don't act like you wouldn't do it, ladies. <laughs> all the mud stuff and all. I know. I had sisters and a mother. I know what y'all do sometimes. Not only was she bathed in donkey milk, that was just phase one of her beauty treatments. Yeah, she was then dried by swan feathers. I don't see how that could be fun. <laughs> Bathed in donkey's milk, dried by swan feathers, and then massaged with the mucus of crocodiles. Ooh, true. Hey, this is true stuff. Apparently, crocodile mucus is the secret to soft skin. So, I don't know what y'all are using, but that's it. All right? I've seen 
rattlesnakes and cobras being milked. I've never seen anyone try to extract the mucus from a crocodile. I would not want that job, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Apparently Nero liked soft skin, so there it was. She had crocodile mucus to put on herself. Here's the thing, though. At age 25, Nero thought he was so great, he deified himself. You may be thinking, well, what's that mean? It means that he had a 120-foot-tall statue of himself put up in plain sight so everybody could see how great he was. And it seemed that people looked up to Nero. But in that same time frame, they looked down on Paul. Paul was a common man, like I said. Bald-headed, bow-legged, a small man with a big nose and scruffy, thick eyebrows that met in the middle. Have you ever seen that guy? A body covered with scars. The New Testament records the dynamic life and the struggles of Paul. And we're going to start out, I want to look in 2 Corinthians 11, 16-30. In these verses, Paul tells of his tumultuous life. Listen to what he says. He says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. He makes a very clear statement here. He's talking about himself. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. Put, your, put yourself in this, in this setting. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts, you, puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I love this part, the parentheses. I am out of my mind to talk like this. He's letting them know that he's, he's going to go somewhere on, on, on maybe thin ice, as you would say. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. Not many people brag about that these days. I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day, a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Most of us would choose to just stay home at this point in life. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else I face daily, the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak. And I do not feel weak who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus who is to be praised forever knows that I'm not lying. Verse 32. In Damascus, the governor under King Eretus had the city of the, Dema of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Folks, Paul may not have traveled the world as Nero did as an emperor with splendor, but he walked 
in these major cities of the known Roman world. And, and, and while he did that, he didn't expect people to wait on him. He didn't expect anyone to offer him crocodile mucus or camel or donkey's milk to bathe in. He worked. He worked as a tent maker in the mornings and he spoke about Jesus and the gospel for the rest of the day. Each day except for the Sabbath. Paul wrote books as he traveled. He, he, he wrote letters as he sat in prison and we treasure his words to this day. He was both a prophet and a pastor who never got over the fact that the living Jesus met him, changed him, and commissioned him as an apostle. How about you? Are, are you willing to work all day and then go tell people about Jesus? Truth is, most of us don't talk about Jesus with the people we work with and know, which means we're not going to go after work and talk to people we don't know. And, and I don't think our problem is that we don't care. I don't think that's our problem. I think we care, we just don't remember well. That's, that's what I think happens. You see, Paul never got over the fact that the living Jesus met him and changed him. Paul never forgot that day where he was transformed. But we do. We, we forget. We forget that day in our lives when we surrendered to Christ, when he commissioned us to tell his story. You see, Paul was a spokesman for God. He was a spokesman for God's grace. He was a messenger of grace. Matter of fact, I think one of his, his favorite words was grace. When you read through everything that he wrote, he lived grace. What's your favorite word? Do you live it? The funny thing about Paul is that he spoke of grace many times, but almost everywhere he went, he caused an uproar. <laughs> I want to look at an example of that real quick. It comes from Acts 21, verse 30 through uh, 32 or 33, and this is just after he spoke, probably about grace. And here's what it says in verse 30. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. As soon as they got him outside the church, they shut the gates so he couldn't get back in. Whatever he was saying, they weren't liking it. While they were trying to kill him, that is not the response you want when you were preaching. I just want you to know that. When they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Question for you. Why in the world would one man put up with all of this junk that Paul had gone through? In his life, all the things that he did, all the beatings that happened over and over, the, the threats upon his life. Why would one man go through all of that stuff for a lie? Why would Paul allow himself to be beaten five times? 39 times each beating. You guys can do that math. It's, it's a lot of hits. From a professional torturer. Not just somebody kind of hitting him. I mean, these guys were paid to do that and they did it well. Why would he endure something like that if, if what he was sharing with people was a lie? Why would he face a group of people who were in the act of trying to kill him because of what he had just said to them about Jesus and about God's plan of salvation? Why would he endure that time and time again? Well, you see, when he's boasting about all those things, he's not boasting about himself. He's saying, I'm doing this because it's what God has called me to do. And if these things come with that territory, so be it. Why would he do that? if what God was asking him to do wasn't true. Because Paul knew he was sharing a message with the people. 
Paul knew he was sharing the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins. Paul knew he was sharing a message of repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He knew that message was truth. And if any part of Paul's message was a lie, why would he endure those things? When you read the stories of the things that Paul endured, every time that he was confronted, they only wanted him to do one thing. Shut up. Stop talking, Paul. He said, no, no, I can't stop talking. They roll up their sleeves and give him a beating. That's all they wanted him to do was stop preaching the truth. And he refused. He refused to stop because he knew what he was preaching was not only the truth, it was a life-changing, life-saving truth. You see, Paul reveals the secret of his ability in the face of opposition to endure to the end. He was rejected everywhere. And oftentimes he was left for dead. How did Paul face these severe challenges in his life and why do we even need to know those answers? I think we need to know the answer to that question because some of you right now are are living a life of rejection. Some of us have been rejected by our families and our friends for following Jesus. Or maybe as a Christian you've rejected your family for some reason. Some people may indeed think we are crazy for believing in Jesus Christ and I want to tell you I will take that as a compliment any day. It's true, some of you, right now, you feel the isolation that comes from being devoted to Jesus. We all have storms. Maybe your storms are relational. Maybe they're financial. Maybe they're personal. Maybe you brought them on by yourself, or maybe you didn't. No doubt, regardless of the storm that you're in, it's painful. But take comfort, because we're in good company I can't help but think that Paul was thinking about us when he wrote some of the things he wrote. And I don't mean us, us, like by name. John's going to read this one day. It's going to change his life. I think that when he was in the Roman prison and, and he wrote to Timothy, revealing the secret of his endurance, he's thinking about, you know, those who are going to come behind him. I want to tell you, if you're in some sort of a stormy place right now, maybe you've just been rejected. Or maybe you're just struggling with something in life. Maybe you're just dealing with a question of who you should share Jesus with. You need to hear these words. You need to put them into into a process in your heart and in your mind so that you can make action out of them. This is what he says in 2 Timothy uh, 1, verses 7 through 14. He says, For the Spirit of God God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, love and self-discipline. Now, there's some things we like here. We like power. We like love. We don't always like self-discipline, but two out of three ain't bad. He's given that to us. Not a spirit of timidity or fear. We don't have to cower in a corner because we have this great message. And not only do we have this great message, but he, the Scripture says He gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. If it stopped right there, that should be enough. But he goes on to say, or me, his prisoner, rather, this is another one we don't like, join me in suffering for the gospel. What? No. I don't want to suffer in the gospel. But he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ 
in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Verse 13, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You see, Paul anchored his life to a hope that was out of this world. He literally entrusted his life into the hands of God. I know we can identify with Paul because many times we feel like nothing in life is going right. You feel that way sometimes? And since we can identify with him in that regard, we can strive to end our lives like Paul did. He ended his life very well. And I'm not talking about like right this very minute. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying we can choose to end our life well like Paul did. Or we could choose to be like Nero who did not end his life very well. I want to look at 2 Timothy 4 verses 6 through 8. Scripture says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, this is for all of us, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, Paul's new life began on the road to Damascus. He was headed to persecute Christians. He was headed to put people in jail. He was headed to do very bad things to people that followed Christ. And his new life began when Christ changed him on the road to Damascus. And it's about to end on a chopping block in a prison cell in Rome when he's writing this. But he knew what was in store for him. He was okay with his life ending. He was going to finish the race. He was going to receive a crown of righteousness. He knew what was coming. Nero, at the age of 29, was lonely and paranoid. This great man who had a statue of himself, who had all this wealth, who had all these things, paranoid and lonely at 29. He was lonely because his second wife killed his first wife, and then Nero kicked his pregnant second wife, and she died. I'm not making this stuff up. And then four years after Paul's death, Nero, who was the great man at the time, committed suicide. He had nothing to live for. He was no hero. Turns out he was actually the zero. You see, because Paul still impacts us to this day. In many ways, even beyond the scriptures and the things that he wrote in the Bible. I mean, think about this. Have you ever seen a St. Nero cathedral? I haven't. Have you met anyone who has named their son Nero? I've met a lot of people with a lot of interesting names. I have yet to meet someone named Nero Smith. I just figured Smith would be a common last name for someone named Nero, if it were to happen. But lots of people are named Paul, or Pauline even. My question for you this morning is, who are the real difference makers in our world? I'll tell you this, it's not the spotlight-seeking, attention-craving celebrities of our world who are taking baths in donkey's milk and rubbing crocodile mucus on themselves. They're not the ones 
It's the rough hands and elbows and the sore knees of people who, like Paul, are bow-legged and walk funny because they chose to carry the good news of Christ onto every job site and into every classroom and everywhere else that they went. It's ordinary Pauls and Paulines. It's you and me. It's the church. It's the bride of Christ that is making the difference for all eternity. Or at least we, we better be. Only the, the church has been given the story of grace. We have been given this story. And, and you, know, you know the story. You, you read it. We talk about it. We study it in Sunday school and, and in our men's classes and women's classes. We study the story. We know the story. Are you willing to go and share the story no matter what? Are you fighting the good fight? Are you finishing the course? Are you even running the race? Does God have you? Or are you trying to hang on to the statue of yourself, Nero? See, as we come into our response time this morning, it's time that we join the race. It's time that we get involved. The course is set before you. I got to tell you, and most people won't tell you this, Joel Osteen will get mad at me for saying this. I probably shouldn't have said that. Anyhow, if you're just sitting on the sidelines looking pretty on Sunday mornings, it's time to get dirty. It's time to get out there. It's time to get sore knees from kneeling to pray. It's time to get sore necks from bowing to God. It's time to get sore feet and calloused hands from being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It's not time to be people who are sitting on the sidelines and watching It's time for us to go and serve and reflect Christ wherever we go. You see, Christ did not call the Apostle Paul to live a life of luxury. He called him to do one thing. Acts chapter 9 verse 15 says, and and this is the Lord saying to Ananias, Go, this man, talking about Paul, is my chosen instrument. Here it is. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul knew that about himself. And you know what? He went and he did exactly that. And you, Christian, he's called you to do something similar. Matthew 28, verse 19, he said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Paul did a lot of things that I hope I never have to do. Paul endured a lot of things that I hope I never have to endure. But if for some reason God sees fit that we should, then let's do it. It's okay. Because the goal is not To have a statue made of fat rock somewhere or a building named after him. The goal is to be a better reflection of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing when we look at at Nero and we look at Paul and, and at face value you think, who would make a better reflection? Nero who was virtually unblemished and had all these good things or Paul with his bushy eyebrows and crooked nose and balding. I'm not balding yet, but I've seen pictures of my dad. I will be soon. I'll take it. His body was scarred up because he endured those beatings so he could have an audience. As you read through the things that Paul went through, even the jailers, he took time to tell them about Jesus and that Jesus loved them and that he had no hard feelings for them. They were just doing their job. 
He's called us to something similar. And if you haven't yet made the decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to submit to Him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's God's plan of salvation, God's true plan. The very plan that Paul was willing to die for, no matter where he went or where he spoke. That's something that Paul wanted to make sure people knew. If he said nothing else, he told people that plan. Will you consider how you will respond to the truth of God's Word and what you've heard this morning? The baptistry is ready. Maybe you'd like to to pray or talk with our elders about a decision that's on your heart. They're here. They'd love to pray with you this morning. And I've got to tell you if, you, if you don't want to walk up in front of everybody and tell the elders to pray with you at 9, 10 on Sunday mornings, there's a few of them in the, in the library. Come a little early. Pray with them. Share with them. Because the fact is, in our world today, many people are willing to live and die for a lie. We see it in the news all the time. But it's time that we stand up and begin to live for the truth. Whatever your response is today, will you consider it as we stand and sing our response song this morning? It's been great to be here with all of you this morning to worship our God and all the things we've done together today, but now it's time to go. As you go this week, go and live out the truth in God's Word. Go and be bold for Him. Begin now, preparing to finish the race that you have been called to run. And what, amazing, what an amazing day it will be when you're able to receive your crown of righteousness and when our God says, our God who created you in His image, our God who sent His Son to die for us that we may live for Him, when He says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, that's going to be a great day. And also, as you go today, you can go and give blood. And our good friends at Life South are not above bribing. So we've got three lovely t-shirts. This one says, it's more blessed to give than receive. That's for the holy people, the spiritual people in, the, in this building. Some of you might prefer these other ugly shirts that say, I bleed for my team. I guess that's Auburn. That's Alabama. They didn't have one in green and orange, so I'm not giving blood. Uh, I'm just kidding, I'm not allowed. But they are, not only are they giving out t-shirts, they're grilling up hot dogs, and so there's chili dogs and some of the works. So you get a t-shirt, you get some food, can it get any better to go and give blood and, and just help to impact our community in that way. Before we do that, will you sing this last song with us?